Good evening. Uh, we're Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. It's seven o'clock. Resonance, <coughs> excuse me, Resonance FM one hundred four point four. Grave by the rave. Slap jewel before the blackboard. Very good, eh? I thought about those. Put those up earlier this evening, so we can go with that. Um, we've got a great evening. Uh, no, we've got a great program lined up for you this evening. Um, and uh, before I introduce any, everyone, I've, um, I'm going to abuse my position as host and seize the radio station because I had a brilliant idea about defining what lollards are earlier today okay. while we were researching. Well, I say we, uh, while my guests were researching and I was just um, gazing idly into space, <laughs> what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, uh, it depends on... Explaining it depends on you knowing who Charles Hoy Fort was. Um, and because only some of the people present will know who he was, I'm going to say it very quickly. Um, he was born in the sort of 1880s. He was American of Dutch extraction. And basically what he did was he told, he retold stories that entertained him, which is not particularly unusual. But it was the kind of stories that he retold, which is interesting. And um, what he was particularly uh, entertained by was things falling out of the sky. Because as far as he was concerned, things falling out of the sky, um, he didn't want to overthrow science and he didn't want to challenge science, but he kind of wanted to see if it was a bit ticklish. (laughs) (laughs) And the kinds of things he was looking for was not, not meteorites, not kind of big things which would make people rush back to the laboratories and say... It's frogs, isn't it? It's frogs, yeah. <laughs> and fish. Frogs and fish and sort of dust which shouldn't be in this vicinity. Um, and he wrote a series of books. The first one in 1919 is called The Book of the Damned. And it really is just a book of funny stories about weird things that have been discovered. And there's a whole uh, territory of um, magazine, humorous magazine discussion called Fortianism, named after him. And ah. I think that Lollards are cultural Fortians. That, that's my big epiphany, which is that we sort of think of... I'm in my late 30s. We, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we look for stuff. We don't want to overthrow the cultural establishment. We just want to sort of slightly annoy them. Not even annoy them, really. Just sort of keep them on their toes. Tickle them a bit. Tickle them a bit. We want yes, to tickle exactly. science with frogs. Affectionately troll them. <laughs> a Chinese bird? Yes. No, no, that's going too far. Um, So anyway, that was my big epiphany, and now the radio station has returned to the establishment. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, the five top-voted avatars of the internet are here tonight to discuss um, the misplaced, the sad-faced, the lacking, the absent, and the damned. See the book, book of the damned. Actually, oh, I forgot another gag. Charles Fort gag. His third book was called Low, which is short for Lollards. Uh, um, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to start by just getting people to. Uh, no, I'm going to start by actually saying who's in in the room. I'm Mark Sinker. You must have worked that. Hello, Mark. Mekiot, um, Alan Schwarzer. Hello. Alex Campbell. Present. In a, a daring radio first, the first couple ever to appear in the same studio on the radio. Ever. Oh, Alex. <laughs> Alan. No. Uh, Carl Smile, Steve Hewitt is uh, keeping everything in order on the mechanical side of things. Do you have a mic? I do have a mic. Hello. Hurrah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just going to get people who have such stories to talk about th- things that they lost which they are upset about, but it's quite surprising they're still upset about it. So, who wants to go first? That's a really <laughs> unprofessional <laughs> way of yes. doing it, isn't it? Well, I'll start. I, have, um, I don't have any that I can really remember or anything that's affected me. Hurrah! But um, <laughs> when we were younger, we used to go to Cornwall pretty much every year, and uh, my brother used to get very upset because he would bury his... Um, toys in the beach in the sand so you'd make this really grand sandcastles 
um, and play with his He-Man toys and his Star Wars toys and his Action Man. Um, particularly one year, uh, he buried them all in the sand and, of course, for hours we spent looking for these <laughs> poor little toys. We couldn't find them. And he was distraught, and he probably is something that he remembers to this day, but I just found it very, very funny. <laughs> so that hasn't affected me, but that's the only thing I could think of. Alan? Um, I've only lost really boring things, like papers, an iPod. It's not a very good iPod either. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not one of these people who who is, in fact, responsible for the canoe that's been less helpful? No. I do, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rubbish. At, I do leave stuff a lot. I've lost, um, I guess, like a shaving kit. The <laughs> boring things. Where These did are like you tedious, lose that? everyday, minutiae stuff. Oh, I once lost a urine sample on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> did you try and get it back at Lost Property? No. <laughs> But but I wasn't able to it's still, my doctor's though, appointment. It's still at Lost Property, and they are so <laughs> pleased that it's there. It's in their top ten of <laughs> things that have lost. Just like to apologise, Can you describe it, madam? <laughs> <laughs> Mainly yellow. Yes. What was it meant to be telling you? Because we've given it all the tests. <laughs> <laughs> How was the child? No, yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't pregnant. It was, it was probably I mean, my My story was actually... I was well my sister and I were the people who buried not all our toys but as as I think everyone in this room's been to my house there are quite a large number of small rubber monsters (laughs) which are most of them older than everyone in this room except me (laughs) and the ones that are that old are still sadly lamenting their fellows who got um, sent on space trips or underground missions which they didn't come back from and uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a small brown monster with his arms sticking out and a big bum um, on a on a beach at Shell Island in North Wales, waiting to be dug up by archaeologists of the future. Uh, anyway, on that uh, uh, melancholy note, um, let's uh, go back to the idea of Cornwall and things about Cornwall which don't exist anymore, and hand over to Alex and her topic. My topic. Um, Cornwall is where they speak Cornish, um, which... But they haven't always spoken it, have they? No, but I can't remember what they spoke before that, possibly... English! (laughs) And then Latin, (laughs) before that. (laughs) Then Pictish, obviously, before that. Well, in Cornwall? Pictish was everywhere. Pictish is the Ur language. Well, they, they spoke Pictish, then they spoke proper Cornish, and then... Cornish kind of died out in the 19th century. I've lost my notes. Um, But instead of just going, oh, boo-hoo, Cornish is dead, uh, they've revived it in a slightly different... um, As Welsh? Well, no, they've... um, It's kind of based more on Middle Cornish, which wasn't the one that died out. It's one that was around in the sort of 14th and 15th century. Was that because there was more Middle Cornish around to, to Maybe, teach people? Yeah, um, <laughs> but that wasn't very good either because they um, they then had to sort of redo their redoing of Cornish and they um, went from un- unified Cornish and turned into modern Cornish, which was based on something, a different type of Cornish, which was easier to write and pronounce. And... Um, that's what is being spoken in Cornwall now by a Almost small number. I've got about <laughs> 300 fluent speakers. Speak oh, that's quite 300. That's quite a lot, yeah. I think. It's quite a lot. In terms of language sort of loss or language death, it depends very much on the community, which is where the language is dying. If you've got a community of 100 people on a small island who all speak their language as their, only, as their mother tongue, that's actually reasonably healthy. Whereas if you've got mm. 100 people speaking a language and they live in the United States that's critical um, so 300 people having sort of revived and come back is quite good so Cornish isn't looking so bad but it is sort of it is slightly made up what do they do about new things um, I don't know <laughs> can we well, what, it, go Yarrow in my internet browser uh, no, I don't know. That's pirates. <laughs> Isn't that the same? All pirates are Cornish. Yes. Uh, but there's also um, other languages which have... Um, well, there's 
in the UK there's languages which have completely died out and there's languages which have almost kind of they've become very endangered and have recently sort of picked up again due to sort of um, interventions such as Welsh uh, Welsh I, I'm, I'm not sure that Welsh ever died out not really but it became slightly less uh, no that I can un- I can understand that that people were worried about it but I don't believe no it didn't die out no. not in the way that Cornish actually died out um, there was a chap they're, they're not sure when Cornish did sort of die out um, well, it, the estimates are <laughs> a lady called Dolly Pentreath who died in 1777 but there was also a chap who died in 1890 who kept Cornish alive by speaking it to his cat oh. <laughs> well, this, this is the, the thing that I was thinking about when you suggested is that this was a topic is that something really does die out when there's only one of you yeah, because then you are just some mentalist talking to yourself and it's not being it's not being carried yeah, on as a, because people are avoiding you a mental language you're, you're talking Cornish to your cat it's, yes and, it's, and you it's could not be, positive yeah and what you're talking is not something that anyone wants to talk about you because you have become someone who doesn't people don't want to talk to yeah for whatever reason it may just be that you're talking a language they don't understand but apart from your cat well but, yeah, there's I mean, no evidence that the cat understood it either <laughs> No, or wasn't thinking the cat wasn't thinking talking English, <laughs> you fool. I thought cats all spoke French. We oui. surely the Cornish for oh hi is important at this point. <laughs> I didn't note that down. Um, one thing I did find in, find interesting about uh, Welsh and its sort of problems was that you know Airful. the channel S four C. I didn't know this, but um, they were. It makes you want to take crack. <laughs> Sorry, that's a <laughs> that's a quote from some famous Welsh indie band. Oh, MTV, yeah. That, <laughs> I get it yeah, that was, yes, that was MTV. Makes me want to smoke crack. But yes, I, I imagine some hilarious Welsh rappers. Yeah, probably. Yes. Um, but people went. They threatened to go on hunger strike because they really wanted S4C to be set up as the national Welsh broadcasting channel. But, but do the, they not the have any programmes in uh, in Welsh language? Yeah. There was a period no. in the 60s when there were parts of Wales where there, there were, was a very low level amount of terrorist, terrorist activity yes. related to them, the people who were blowing things up, which was quite small things like um, post boxes. Being no, no, this right. was, it was it was before, before that. that. It was okay. it was to do with refusing bilinguality. Um, I don't think bilinguality is a word, but <laughs> bilingualism, I think, is a better attempt at it. Bilinguality Signs are too is, the, big. is the cornish <laughs> for bilingualism. Um, and and it, was, it should just be in Welsh and not in English as well, because English is the oppressor language and etc. Et it's interesting, actually, that North Shropshire now has lots of bilingual signs. So That's because it's in Wales. Well, that, that is <laughs> it is now. In a very real sense. <laughs> There is something set up called the European Charter for Regional or Minority Languages, which means that countries that sign up to it are obliged to protect the minority languages in their country. And in the UK, Cornish, Irish, Manx, Scots, Scottish Gaelic and Welsh are all protected. And so they have to come up with bilingual road signs and translation in sort of official proceedings. Uh, I always thought it it was nice when I was going on holiday because it's, it's sort like of being says, in foreign yeah it says yeah. you know you, you've gone far and it's worthwhile setting off you, you get to learn what the welsh hard shoulder is and useful things taxi oh dear all, all the classic <laughs> jokes coming out that's hospital isn't it in welsh what Esperty. Esperty, yes Esperty. Yeah. anyway um what's that school manx as well <laughs> was one gone. that kind of uh sort of faded uh the last chap who spoke it on his own, Ned Madrill died in 1974 but um, it was sort of already being, they were already attempting to preserve it and to get get it back and this chap called Brian Stowell, sorry I was turning the page of my notes there um, he's published literature in Manx, including a translation of Alice in Wonderland uh, and also in March 2006, sorry, I'm just actually reading that aloud, that's bad, isn't it? Um, <laughs> he published a novel, the first full met length Manx novel, and it's called The Vampire Murders. Ooh. That's in Manx, that's the title. Well, I could read you the title what, in Manx. In oh, yes. 
Well, I'm not sure I can. Um, Dunverish sin e Tudor folly. Ah, where is that in the Amazon charts? <laughs> top of the list. Probably. Top of the Manx, top of the Manx list. list. Yes. Um, if I, we, we, we have had an um, uh, intervention from our um, indie correspondent. Do, do text in your views. Yes. <laughs> it says that H4C makes, uh, S4C makes me want to smoke crack was, in fact, an EP featuring Catatonia, Ectogram, and Reinhold H. Rowlands. So there we go, listeners. It is Get awesome alive. that I knew that. I haven't even heard of two of those people because <laughs> I'm so old. But I did know You that. must have seen these, yes. <laughs> must have passed through a box somewhere that you're looking at. Would you like to quickly hear about some languages which have actually properly died off? Yes, yes please. Okay, the more, the I'll, I'll be quick. Latin. Um, Latin hasn't died off. There's well, it's got no native speakers. Alice in Wonderland has been translated into Latin, as has, as has the cat in the hat. True. Green eggs and Green ham. Green eggs and ham. All the, most, most of the Asterix books. We were talking right, about they don't, they don't count because they've already got Latin in them. Exactly. Okay. Mm. The Amazon has 31 books, which are children's books translated into Latin, but half of them are Asterix, and that doesn't count as far as I'm concerned. Isn't there one about a dog farting? <laughs> now, now. I shall read the complete Steven. list. Well, and you can no, tell, no, no, but there totally is. You can is. tell me what these books actually are. Alicia in Terra Mirabili. Hmm. Absolutely. Alicia per speculum transitus, quaeque ibi in vainit. Catus petasatus. <laughs> <laughs> Ferdinandus Taurus. Harrius Potter in philosophy lapis. <laughs> Jeremiah Piscatori. Maria Poppina. <laughs> Pinoculus. <laughs> Quomodo. Invidiosolus nomine Grinchus Christi Natalum Abrogavarit. <laughs> Bit of a giveaway. The, the Grinchy uh, stole Christmas. The Grinchy stole Christmas. Oh, okay. Virant Ova, Viret Perna. That's green eggs and ham. And Virent, that's a really nice Latin word because it doesn't mean, it means it shines in green, the egg. <laughs> yes. Egg. Egg. Taylor Charlottei. Um, Charlotte's Web. Yes, yes, very good. Walter Canus Inflatus. This is Carl's That's mouth. the farting dog one. <laughs> yes, Walter the farting dog. <laughs> Hooray! And Winnie Ilepu. Oh. Oh. Um, oh. What's that one? Sorry, Alex, we interrupted you there with that. That was meant to be a game for everyone to guess. Oh, that was a good game. <laughs> um, languages that are dead. Pictish, gone. No one knows anything about it. I don't. Um, Where was that? Everywhere. Uh, North and central Scotland in the early Middle Ages, says oh. my notes, but I don't believe them. Um, also, Norn. 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 That's not Star Trek. It is. <laughs> uh, which was language spoken on Orkney and Shetland. Uh, sort of died out in the 15th to 18th century. Unclear why or when. It's rubbish. Um, Possibly because there's nobody I've, there I've as well. Got, I've got a riddle in Norn. Ooh. Can I read you the riddle? Please do. In can Norn. we guess it in Norn? Yes, you can. Um, okay. This is a, a guddick, i.e. the known word for riddle. Fear a honga, fear a gonga, fear a stad upusku, to a vistra vega b, and in comes at a drilliandi. What's the answer? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Do you want it in English? I know this. No! <laughs> <laughs> the yes, riddle we know in the English. Answer. You can see my notes, can't you? No, no, I, I just know the answer. Alright. I just, I just translate it back into English. What's Say the it in English. Okay, I died. <laughs> in English, four hang, four walk, four stand skyward, two show the way to the field, and one comes shaking behind. It's a cow. Hitler. It is a coup. Oh. Four teats hang, four legs walk, two horns and ears stand skyward, two eyes show the way to the field, and one tail comes shaking behind. Oh. Yes, teats. So where where do they speak Norn? They don't. But <laughs> no, where did they? <laughs> on they the never did. On the Shetlands and okay. on Orkney, and a bit on the mainland in Caithness, but... Apparently, even less is known about Caithness Norn, so no one speaks of it. It just embarrasses linguists. Uh, not, yes, <laughs> I can imagine makes them cry. Um, I think probably we should probably have your stop. song. Okay. Probably stop. Yeah, yes, let's stop that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to introduce Alex? It's a song co- called "Pyramids" by Peter Pat. I think. Hopefully.
<laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's Whatever. <laughs> that was the okay pyramids. And we're delighted that the person who chose it could endorse it so warmly. <laughs> it's fine. Lovely noise. So, the language of the pyramids was uh, deciphered in the early 19th century, thanks to the Rosetta Stone. Oh, yes. And the next big uh, decipherment event was in the 50s, called Michael Ventris, who My uncle. <laughs> Sorry, my yes. un- no, not actually my uncle, but my uncle is called, called Michael, Michael Ventris. Ventris. Oh, awesome. Now, this guy died in a car crash in the mid-50s, sadly, when, no. when very young. Um, but having deciphered Linear B, the most boringly named <laughs> uh, lost language ever. Hugely successful follow-up to a Linear A. Linear A, which is still not deciphered. Mm. Um, and this was uh, the culture, this this was one of the languages of, was the Minoan culture, which is famous for several things. It's famous for um, being wiped out by a tsunami thanks to a volcano. It's famous for inventing a very daring version of the sports bra. It's famous for the minor tool, uh, right. and it's famous for the fact that Alan knows um, what the labyrinth really was. Well, I, I, I've been there. I've, I've, I went to Knossos. Um, because of the sports bra thing. Because of the sports bra. <laughs> I, was, there's a, get lot, burst loads of people there going to see this sports bra. What are you on? What? <laughs> well, the Minoan bull jumpers, the women bull jumpers, are always depicted in Minoan... Um, whatever they're called freezes right um as well tits out basically (laughs) there isn't but they have a sort of support thing Uh um and then any uh program about minoan culture has made the uh artistic decision that this was not simply used during bull jumping but in fact all minoan women wore this all the time (laughs) and so in all the reconstructions there they are in every sense <laughs> Sorry. You can it. say tits on the radio, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I can. Yes, just you. Uh, yeah, no, I, no, I, I went because, you know, I, I, I thought uh, while I'm there, you've got to see it. And it, it is pretty much the only thing there to see. And it's quite impressive. It's, I mean, it's. What are we talking about? The, 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 the complex at Knossos. It's, it's about, um, well, it's several thousand years old. I mean, there's been settlements there for you know, 7,000 BC or something ridiculous. But the, the complex was built up about, um, what do I say, about uh, 5,000 years ago? Something like that. Hang on. The 16th century before the Christian era? That's, that's even longer ago. Yeah, a few thousand years ago. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge stone complex, about 150 metres by 150 metres. And there's big roads and there's mezzanines and there's, there's uh, stairways and rooms and antechambers and all sorts. And uh, a lot of people have suggested, the, the, the archaeologists suggested, that this is actually the maze that people talk about. And they talk about the, the, the myth of the maze and the Minotaur at, at the court of King Minos. That people were just getting lost. Um, in, in the ruins or in, in the, maybe not ruins then, but... The, no, yeah, the, this it's was just, just in the, this complex. Cause this was, it was the Barbican of its day. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so people, everyone was getting lost, but they weren't meant to be getting lost, they just were getting lost. Absolutely, yeah. It was. It, the, the, there is no evidence of a... Well, there's some people who say there is, but most, most of the archaeologists are sort of saying, well, the, there isn't a maze, so where's this legend come from? And it is, you know, for, for, from when it was built, uh, it's a hugely complex... Uh, complex. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah you can get lost you know as you, you, you're guided around for, for very good reasons it's quite uh, in, intricate um, and uh, I was thinking I was thinking about the, the subject of uh, losing things which I was talking about losing languages but I was thinking about physically getting lost and, and uh, obviously mazes are very good at getting lost I was just thinking about being lost the actual feeling of being lost and uh, being lost as a child I mean I remember uh, getting on the wrong bus <gasps> Everything almost always about getting leaving things on buses or whatever. But I got off, got, off, got on the wrong bus and I, I was, it was got to the end of the line and I didn't know where I was and and uh, it was rainy. I cried. I was twenty seven. Hey. <laughs> then I I did get off the bus. Yeah. No. Um, and I, I just I, does anyone else have sort of like childhood getting I, lost? Yes, in Dickens in um, Stockton on the um, the oh it's a big hardware store um, DIY store. Um, oh, local, local. Um, before before they were all taken over by B and Qs and whatever, mm-hmm. Dickens is, 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 is 
so big. Dickens, Dickens is a big, proper superstar. I don't know why we all use our hands an awful lot on the radio, <laughs> but it's um, in yeah, the um, hope that one in the day hope that people will see. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember definitely wandering down the wrong aisle and pressing the doorbells because they they had a big doorbell section <laughs> and you could press the doorbells <laughs> and, and there go, ding dong ding dong ding dong um, obviously hours of fun and this was obviously before for everyone the, yeah, except be- you yeah, for, um, before the invention of ball pills and what have you where young children are thrown these days um, in such large <laughs> Nest of supermarkets balls. yes and contact day crash yes I did get a bit confused and then my I was looked for over the I was Announced over the tannoy. Wow. That I was lost. Shame. You scamp. Yeah, I've never heard the legendary lost child in aisle five. In all the times I've been standing around listening to the announcements in. They wouldn't do it anymore, would they, because of child protection issues? They would probably use a code. Oh, so they say free child. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or going spare child. (laughs) Available child in aisle. So it's only the parent will come and find them. They do do it in um, a Glastonbury, though. They still do standard lost child from the stage from the stage announcements. You know, they we Mm. have eighteen children at Wagon Shed Welfare. (laughs) If you are if you are missing any, go and have a look. (laughs) Oh, I hope one day to lose my own child at Glastonbury. Isn't it? It's not going to happen, though. Apparently. You just throw it into one of those those um, ball pools and oh, right. <laughs> leave, them, leave them there. So they have, I've never been to Glastonbury. I don't know what it's uh, Glastonbury. I don't know it's, what it's, it's just a giant ball pool, <laughs> yeah. all seven hundred acres, made of, of gold. And yes, mud. mostly mud. Mainly um, mud. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. The the thing about it is, is it, it's sort of thrilling, but not quite because you, you know, being lost is is a sort of horrible feeling, mm. really. Um, but Another thing from my childhood is I, I did like mazes, and mazes are a sort of, um, um, Mark uh, came up with this fabulous phrase, they're the sort of roller coaster of being lost. They're a very, very tightly prescribed um, sort of space that allow, allows you to explore being lost, but knowing that really you're actually safe. You know, you're, 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 you're strapped in and ready for the ride. But, uh, and I did, I love mazes. I remember going to uh, Hampton Court. Uh, is that the most famous maze? Yes. Yes. The most famous maze, so. apart from Nossus. Have I done all the famous mazes? Well, Nossus is a labyrinth, much. but Hampton Court is a maze. Well, I don't know. Labyrinth? Don't uh, do I want to go into the difference between them? Yes. Yes, yes. No, of course you do. <laughs> yes. The, the, mo- the modern uh, definition tends to say that labyrinth isn't actually something you can get lost in. A labyrinth is what they call unicursal. It's a single line that just happens to wiggle around. You can never uh, get lost. It's more a devotional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, it's so like it a holy centre approach. And you have David Bowie in some tights. <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> so and, why would you want to get lost? Sorry? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and that's why. Whereas a maze has dead ends and... Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it branches. Traps. Yeah. Uh, crucially. Um, Gelatinous cubes. And, of course, there wasn't actually one at Nossus, so who knows? <laughs> it was just uh, the Barbican. What uh, is always at the centre of the maze? Is there anything well, ever exciting at the... Well, when I was a kid, and I, got to, I did get finally to the centre of Hampton Court um, maze, and, I, and it was this beautiful wide area with... with the benches and blossom and everything and um so i went back to see it about five ten years ago uh, as a grown-up and it's rubbish (laughs) (laughs) it's just this slightly widened area uh with a kind of manky tree and it's just like even sorry not even a bird not even a bird bath or a sundial or something was the sort of (laughs) thing you might expect in a in a mystical maze but no you you you, i came across it i thought no no dead end (laughs) i turned around (laughs) carried on but no oh that's it but isn't this this is a feature of sort of puzzles generally isn't it that they're fantastic to do and then when you finish them Mm -hmm. they're rubbish well yeah including like jigsaws and and video games and well well I mean, mazes as a, as a kid are, 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 are incredible, but you have to get more sophisticated when you grow up because they're. I mean, especially if you've got a, just a printed maze, you ever seen that in a kid's puzzle book? They're they're fine doing them, but we would be bored. You know, we know how to do them. You can see them. They're not that interesting a puzzle. You're not really thinking about. it. You just have to be a bit persistent. Um, and uh, especially but, if you go over the lines, that's the best. Way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you draw a line straight to the centre? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, um, oh, I've lost my thread now. Oh, sorry. Oh, 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 oh very good. Oh, <laughs> um, 
No, um, there's layers and layers in this program. Yes, more sophisticated mazes because the, the <laughs> being immersed in a maze is very, very different. I mean, that's that is more of a visceral thrill when you're lost in it, and you can get mazes quite in, in America quite a lot where they've uh, farmers with maize fields, uh, maize, <laughs> maize um, cool. will actually make a maze in the maize field and charge. This is the cleverest program ever, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> However, that 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 does only work if the boundaries that they've made are taller than you can step over them i have been to mazes where yes. the turf um, mazes well no no no, just where the where the, the trees haven't grown yet so they're just like a foot and yeah. a half high and you can just like leap over them if you get a bit bored indeed hooray the i'm at the botanical middle botanical garden at oxford is that its maze is just hopeless it's about it is literally a foot tall <laughs> and maybe it's not even a maze carry on no 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 it's fine it's because the, the point is that the immersion makes a big difference if you're not immersed in it, if it's just a flat puzzle in front of you or, or part of a, a, a bigger puzzle, it's not that interesting unless you're a child and you have to have a much more sophisticated puzzles and there are logic mazes and so forth. But um, mazes have a, quite a big history in uh, video games. Uh, the, you know, some of the earliest video games have been maze-based and this is largely because, um, well, the, it's a way of organising space. So if you, the, one of the earliest... Uh, video games that from like the early 1970s was called Maze War. It was uh, the first um, networked game as well, and it had avatars, so people were represented by eyeballs, and you could walk around and you could shoot them and so forth. And it was, it was a maze game, but it was just because it's easy to represent if you've got a sort of uh, very simple rectilinear mm. maze and you've got a simple perspective. It's quite easy to represent on the screen, and it's a good way of breaking up a very large space so that you can navigate around. You do have to watch out for the T-Rexes, though. And there's the... So a few years later, <laughs> in the early 80s on the ZX81, the first home computer 3D game, uh, British 3D Monster Maze, because the, the Maze War was actually done to NASA. Uh, By me. Not in, you know, that wasn't what they were trying to do. Yes, was it just was. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you couldn't get funding to, to, to just make video games from, from the state. It you had to say, we're lot. going to the moon. But then actually pour, pour all the money <laughs> into the real... <laughs> Well, it's, it's odd, actually. The guy, the guy who wrote it actually did work on the Mars rover as well. So you know, he said, and he said that his research. But the Mars rover—that's just like a—it's a little labyrinth in a studio with cameras. Exactly, in it. and then a giant yeah. Tyrannosaurus Rex comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex on the moon, um, Mars, on on Mars even. Yes. So that's where they went. Yes, um, but but modern graphics games not so interested in mazes. You know, they might pop up as an incidental thing, but they're they're really they're they're, they're that's. Not sophisticated enough for, for modern graphical games. So the, the maze is a kind of primitive version of a, of the stories that we're actually sort of interested in moving towards. But obviously, video games to start with, it was too difficult to do. The stories we're moving towards. Uh, I th- it, think that? so. I understand, but um, it was it was more that it was a way of organising simple movements. I think. Uh, and then, as video games got more complicated, the stories became. The story, the less geometrical. Well, you could you could free up because you can move anywhere, you can move in any direction. Whereas with these early games, it was just the four sort of cardinal directions: north, south, east, west, or whatever. Um, which and and in another uh, sort of genre of, video, of of computer games, not video games, computer games, which is the sort of text adventure games, which I don't know if you're familiar with. You have a description of where you are, what do you want to do now, and you you give a very simple uh, verb noun sort of thing like go north. Um, yeah. Uh, mm. Kill hen. Get axe, kill hen. Yeah. That sort of thing. Um, Steel boat. Get cape. <laughs> Wear cape. Kill hen. Um, yes. Kill hen. That's the point at which you've won. Yes. Isn't it? But, the, cape, but mazes have, have um, in, in those in that sort of genre have actually uh, they've they've carried on to the modern day uh, modern day of computer games um, because the, the, although there was sort of the heyday was in the seventies and eighties, there's been quite a renaissance. There was a big renaissance in the nineties that's still carrying on now. And people, they, they still want to write mazes. And the, the early ones were very, very boring. And people got tired of those very quickly. And now they keep coming back to mazes. But um, there's this, always arguments about, no, leave the maze out. It's boring. We've done mazes. Uh, but, uh, but they always want to do them. So they always have to come up with, like, a trick. So it's not really a maze like you have to map it out and find your way. There's always some sort of weird... Uh, sort of postmodern trick <laughs> about how do you solve the maze so instead of solving it by get, getting round it there's some other uh, sort of special sort of taking it beyond sort of lateral thinking oh like in cube what, where you just get cut up into little pieces but you have to decipher 
you sort of yeah. work out what the yeah. structure of the thing is by well that that film was very very textbook uh, that was sort of yeah. what i was getting at in a in a much to um jump ahead kind of way which is that in order to not be bored in a in a thing which has become too simple mm. you start bringing in these other kinds of puzzle and then actually a lot of stories longer stories that's what they're like that the story the simple idea of the story has become too simple mm. and so you elaborate it on all these kind of meta ways and whatever and actually that's what that's the relationship of the novel to the the ordinary story is exactly that kind of thing it's to make the the thing to keep it not boring so that the anticipation of the practiced reader is just constantly sort of anyway i think the the reason i brought that in was as a really clever segue <laughs> to the next section but i can't remember how it works <laughs> oh also so, we, we, we can't really go this far without mentioning pac-man well yeah it's, it's, again it's a way of organizing the yeah. space really isn't it yes yeah. but yeah it is a sort of maze there's lots of video games that do have mazes but they're not then you're not solving the maze that's not part of the puzzle right yeah and uh, it's 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 that puzzle element of of feeling satisfied <laughs> when you finish it basically and, yeah and a simple maze as a kid fair enough but as a grown-up that's not really satisfying so you have to have these extra tricks like um there's a game where you have to discover oh i'm a bird I will fly out of the maze. Uh, or, like um, a bird. There's, <laughs> or there's one where you go back in time and stop the maze growing so that when you get back to the future, you can get out. It's, it's all sorts of strange okay. tricks. Anyway. <laughs> Tell us about your song, Alan. Uh, my song is a, a sort of, is Down, Down, Down by The Presets.
Okay, so we've talked about um, things getting lost and uh, people being lost. And so um, Mate wants to talk about, well, what we do when we don't want to lose. Is that right? Yeah, I'm starting off with a Judith Vorst quote. Uh, I believe she's a, gen- a uh, an author, children's author. And she says, superstition is foolish, childish, primitive and irrational. But how much does it cost you to knock on wood? So um, my point is for players, um, basically, who start off with, it might be a ritual or um, just a habit that they do before each match. But when does it become, um, when does it become, well, basically superstition and potentially going into OCD? Um, we have players like Johnny Wilkinson, uh, the rugby player, who has a certain way of kicking the penalties uh, that he does in the tr- whatever he does when he kicks the rugby ball. And <laughs> <laughs> he does the rugby thing. Yeah, he has a whole thumb twiddle, bottom wiggle, uh, three steps back, two steps to the side, that kind of thing. Crap. And then, yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, but there's something about ancient Rome that apparently gladiators were quite careful to put their dominant foot forward when they stepped into the arena. Um, And there's the possibility that that gave um, the expression of putting your best foot forward. Um, There's also um, something to do, uh, something called the playoff beard, which um, now I've read about this, uh, it seems that my husband may be a... I'm Maybe a baseball player I'm on the con- side. I'm in a constant playoff. Yes. Um, it's originally a hockey tradition, uh, but it's kind of gone into other sports that um, once a team uh, enters the playoffs, uh, in whichever sport they have, usually baseball, that um, once Isn't they start... Isn't hockey a girl's game? <laughs> Sorry, what? Hockey? Isn't hockey a girl's game? No, oh, ice hockey. Maybe, yeah, maybe ice, ice hockey, hockey. Um, is, is, the, is the hockey to which they're referring. <laughs> it is for men. Oh, I d- yeah, I don't Americans. want to know about female shaving habits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were. That's a different story. Moving into an interesting story. <laughs> but once they uh, obviously have that first match, maybe they win. Then the team just don't shave uh, throughout the whole the whole process, and that will give them good luck or whatever. Um, so yeah, it just kind of stems from that. And I I work with um, a semi-professional footballer. Um, and he says that um, obsessive compulsive disorder is rife amongst sports people and you can imagine why because they have to practice the same things over and over again maybe a free kick um, that kind of thing it rewards people who are obsessive yeah yeah I mean you have the story of Beckham waiting two hours after the training finishes to practice his free kick or that that kind of thing and organising his Pepsi cans Yes, and then it steps over, I guess, yeah. into... into um, well, if you do this in one area of your life, you, you're likely to do yeah. it in others, I guess. Or alternatively, it's the other way around, that because you're like that anyway, you can. it's easy for you to put in the dedication to do it. Yeah. Perhaps. I would agree with that, definitely. Um, and, yes, there's a story about also, I was thinking, is there a placebo effect where... Um, uh, I was told a very good story about uh, Paul Gascoigne when he played for Rangers and he put on some shorts before a match, decided for whatever reason these shorts weren't good enough, they didn't fit properly, maybe the lining wasn't quite right, whatever. <laughs> chafing slightly. Maybe chafing. Uh, he took them off, gave them to the kit guy, said, I can't wear these, new pair of shorts, pronto. The guy took them, a bit confused, disappeared for five minutes, came back, threw him a pair of shorts, here you go, Gazza, try these on. Um, he put them on. Oh, yeah, these are so much better. Thanks. <laughs> Went off, played, had a good match. Of course, they were the same pair of shorts. I think it's a bit unfair to call that guy a bit confused. He was obviously totally not confused. <laughs> yes. He was the smartest psychologist yeah, in the maybe building. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas hasn't Gaza gone mental recently? Yeah. Bless yeah, him, yes. I don't think that's related to his shorts. His shorts. Okay. Why, why is he a man mental these days? Or is it best not to talk about that? No, no, it's a, a mental health issue. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, this obviously goes from players uh, and it crosses over to fans. Um, there's a, a quite big in America, well, it's a global phenomenon, really. Um, there's a gentleman who is a, um, a fan of the San Jose Sharks hockey team. It's hockey again. Um, boys hockey. Boys hockey. Nice um, hockey. Ice yes, hockey. ice hockey. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to the arena 60 minutes before, he gets a beer, and he says, regardless of thirst. 
He heads <laughs> to his seat. Um, he doesn't eat anything until uh, the break. And then he goes down to get some popcorn chicken and a large Mountain Dew Coke. Again, regardless if I want them. I have to get them because we keep winning. Um, the weird quirk, as opposed to that not really being weird quirk, yeah, so the weird quirk the is the condiment portion of this superstition i make sure that i have to get seven packets of ranch dress ranch dressing despite probably only using two or three of them and apparently it works they've won 11 times this year so you've got to stick with it that, that does work then. KFC yes, that is very well asked for it as well that's but proof the, the, the science <laughs> aspect of this it seems to me is very obvious is that there are lots of fans who are all doing this and whether the team wins or loses mm. is not mm related to one person's OCD it's related to the vector sum <laughs> of the OCD of every single fan on pro both and sides con. yeah and I mean obviously that's a huge psychic zero. uh force are you suggesting it's a zero sum well, well, well if it's a, nil, a score sides. draw it's a zero sum clearly God's, God was on their side <laughs> okay don't, don't get into, into that <laughs> Also, I have my own little quirk, and it's probably the only quirk I do have with regards to superstition or, or anything sporting like that. Um, I now refuse to watch Exeter City play football. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> if only the rest of us could. <laughs> I've probably been, I don't know, nine or ten times, eight or nine times. Oh, uh, so when you say watch, you mean be in the same room? I purchase a ticket and, and watch the match. Yes. In the same room? <laughs> On the same pit, well, in the same in the, in the same, same stadia venue. Venue, the fir- first you. time I went, I think uh, extra one. I thought, right, this is great. And then ever since, they've either drawn or lost. Um, so, unfortunately, it did include the uh, playoff uh, final at Wembley. So I've now told um, my extra loving friends that um, hi there. Yes, two of them. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I shan't be going to Wembley if they happen to be at the next playoff final. But is this your decision or a, a response to the well, it's also frowns the, um, and disgust of no, the other well, two people? No, Steve says he's okay in. with it, which I can only <laughs> take his word for. But I would just feel awful if I went again and they lost. So it's it's my own little thing. I would just feel so bad if I did go again, just for my own uh, pleasure of going. It's funny, very selfish, yeah. and the team lose. It's funny that players don't feel more off the hook for this because that they're. I mean, I suppose it's because they themselves are very caught up in similar patterns. But, mm. but you never see you never see people interviewed after the match saying, "Well, you know, we didn't really we, we played as hard as we could." But that bloke who always gets popcorn chicken, <laughs> he just got something completely different. So obviously, we went down sachos. by. <laughs> It's what was he thinking? Every single person watching would understand that excuse. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, there's also something I wanted to mention about the underdog um, with opposed to losing uh, or maybe winning sometimes they're the underdog um, which was quite um, apparent this weekend with the um, FA Cup um, the FA Cup has now got uh, four teams in the semi-final um, only one of which is what they would class a top flight club or a, a Premier League club and um, the rest are in the division below um, you have Barnsley who are kind of known as the the biggest underdog um and they are i did count it today i think they're 27 places below portsmouth who uh, are the top the highest team left um and all the um all the kind of press attention seems to be related to them um you also have cardiff who are two places below um barnsley in the league they're also they're fighting um a battle basically to stay afloat as a club um, so they're, they're going to be left in the um, playoff final, so they get their trip to Wembley. Um, so I was just generally thinking about the the, um, the thought of the underdog and basically why England as a country really do love the underdog and what, what is so appealing. Um, Barnsley played Chelsea um, at, in the quarterfinals and, and beat Chelsea, having previously beaten Liverpool. Um, and obviously as a neutral, the neutral do, does tend to, to uh, go towards the underdog. I mean, I'm, I'm. I think I'm not even sure that it's a, a particularly British thing. I think mm. it is. Um, you know, I mean, you see it in, in the majority of sports that that people will always kind of go for the root for the guy or team or lady even um, who it would be more fun if they won because no, nothing's less fun in sport than the same person winning all the time. Yeah, unless you were a, a Chelsea fan or a Man United fan, you are 
really gonna yeah yeah the other team and if we if we as if we as a species really enjoyed the opposite story the overdog story then our sports tournaments would be set up very differently there would be lots of very very sort of well it would be basically children being running against adults It would be it would be co- like competitive dad. Yes, <laughs> right yeah, it would, it would across the board, and we'd be loving around. it because yes. that's yeah. you know if yeah. we were like that, then Don't we would like that. you pitted against a dolphin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who, won a, who, who won a Crufts? Was that the underdog? It was a cat. <laughs> a <big laughs> yes, dog. it was. It was it the was underdog, and the underdog a, was a cat. Was it a schnauzer? <laughs> um, it was a giant schnauzer. It was the giant schnauzer, wasn't yeah, it? Yes. That's a real sport, instantly. Yes, that's not judging. Yes, not really time to get into that now. But I was also thinking that maybe uh, in recent years, England uh, as a sporting nation is kind of becoming a bit of an underdog. Uh, people are expecting... <laughs> same with rubbish? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> rubbish but arrogant. Yes, yes exactly. Mm. Rubbish but arrogant. We're either Worst expected to win, those. and then when we get to a big game, maybe the quarterfinal, then we are expected to lose because, they, you know, we do love to, to wallow in our own... You know, the, the the <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do we do we have time to play the music of us wallowing? I, I don't think we do have enough time to. Um, I think we're going to have to drop. One, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll just have a little bit. Maybe yeah, this is to do with the uh, the music that's played over montage. Keep, of, keep talking. I'm okay, thank you. Um, over the montages that they use on BBC ITV Sky um, for when England inevitably come out of a major tournament. <laughs> Who's this? But th- this is the dreadful cast band. Oh yes, oh. this is cast. Um, because this, uh, this, this, they do tend to pick the kind of lacrimose, um, g- rubbish g- uh, guitar-based pop. So you got this. You've or got embrace your, or Coldplay. Yeah, you got Oasis. Embrace or Coldplay. But then the, occasionally they do kind of pick the good ones. And the um, sorry, I'll just have to blink because we don't want any more of this. Um, so that that's called it's called Walk Away. Yes. And it, that's it's because it's it's the Newsnight principle of pop, which is like the title is yes. is underlining the point being made, and oh, then yes, don't yes. listen to any of the rest of the words. And luckily, we faded them quickly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but this is this is "Numb" by the Pet Shop Boys, Hooray. which they used um, after our defeat in the the BBC used now after our last defeat in the World Cup in two thousand and six, which is far more kind of <laughs> kind Good. of you know yeah yeah well yeah obviously but. You know, it's it's a, a, an interesting kind of departure from the from the from this rather no, solid dad rock that they usually go for, going for a bit of nice, slightly more orchestral. Well, it, it, but they, it's, it's still sad. And they played atmosphere. Uh, some. No, no, no. It was. It was. Um, it was. No, sorry. Yes, it was atmosphere. I get not, confused. Not the Russ Abbott. Not the Russ Abbott. Abbott. Oh, the division. Did they play the that, that was before the same match. Um, it, it was Joy Div. Divi- um, what, before atmosphere. a football match, before, yeah, this was this was like. I the know, big, let's get the fans going. Now this is the big montage before the match of of how the previous matches had gone, and because it had been so. Ugh, oh, I see. Yeah. Right. So they had atmosphere. Yeah. Hallelujah, the John Cale version. Oh, not even not, not and a third one, which I think was the um, Echo and the Bunnymen. But it was by really, Nico from the Marble Index. <laughs> quite possibly, yes. Um, <laughs> But I mean, it was Frozen such an amazing. I mean, Rubbish I, by Carter? Was that no, it? no, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, we're we're getting to the point where we have to. We are running out of time. Running out of time. Go on. Bye, bye, Neil. Bye, bye. Bye, bye, Neil. That made me sad. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, this has been Freak Trigger and the Lollards of Pop on Resonance FM one hundred four point four. Read more at freakytrigger.co.uk or send us nice emails at ftlollards at gmail.com after this show there's clear spot till nine about expo 67 at montreal which my dad was at (laughs) Uh, then from Mm. nine to ten middle east panorama 10 to 11 the trash can from 11 50 50 sound system you've been listening to alex alan meg steve i'm mark sinker and um the uh midweek download number one (laughs) yes i'm so (laughs) rubbish at remembering what this thing is uh, this is uh, Connie Francis singing uh, some song. Sorry, I turned into John Peel. If it takes if forever, if it takes forever, <laughs> which it seems as though it might.
thousand summers I will wait for you Till you're back beside me Till I'm holding you Till I hear you sigh Here in my arms Anywhere you wander Clock will tick away the hours one by one And then the time will come when all the waiting's done The time when you return and find me here And run straight to my waiting arms 